Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the back bar. This is Christopher Menning. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to On About Bar Podcast. Hope you're doing well. Of course, it's me, your host, Christopher, and uh, this is great. I'm, I'm joined by Priyanka. I'm really happy to have her on the show. We've been talking for a very long time, and uh, I've been really eager to have her join me because she's got such a wealth of knowledge to share. Um, I just recently saw her in Bangkok, which I was very happy about. We were celebrating Asia's 50 best bars here, and now she's joining me over a Zoom call. Uh, we've both got a drink in hand. Hey, how are you? Hey, Chris, it is actually really nice to finally be here after the, you know, the m- number of times we've been talking about doing this. I'm glad to finally be here and thanks for having me. Uh, absolute pleasure, really. I mean, um, you know, we, we kind of caught up a few times in Bangkok, but obviously there was so much going on. It was very hard to sort of keep track of everyone. But um, I mean, firstly, I know you've just got back from Greece, which must have been a great experience. Um, but how was your time in Bangkok? Was that, was that fun being back in, in this side of Asia? You know, this was actually my first trip to Bangkok in 17 years. So wow, it was a whole new experience for me. I mean, I think the last time I was there was barely like a teenager. Not to disclose my age or anything on your podcast, but I was very young. <laughs> <laughs> I was very young. Right. So I obviously wasn't doing the bars and all of that. I was doing, you know, fun touristy stuff. So this was a very different Bangkok. Uh, and it made me wonder why I don't go back there more often. But then, of course, the weather reminded me why. Um, it's unforgiving out there, yeah? I mean, I don't know, you're probably used to it, but for me, that was just brutal, brutal humidity. But despite that, I think, you know, I had such a great time. I would go back again and again for the food. Um, and the bars there are just incredible. Like, I wasn't expecting so many great bars. I think there's a level of consistency that I saw that I was just completely blown away by. Yeah, we're very lucky here. I mean, um, I've been trying to shine the spotlight on Bangkok and Thailand as a whole for a long time. And um, uh, it was really great to welcome so many people back to the city and, um, and you know, just hang out and, and just show what we have to offer. So, yeah, it was great to hang out with you and have a few drinks. And obviously, we had big awards as well, which is quite quite good, actually. It was really fun to have this sort of, um, you know, back to live events. And it was a bit of a, a shake up in terms of the awards and, and the listings. And India did so well this oh, year. Yes. I mean, I'm so happy for everyone that was involved. But India's really just like, you know, just really pushing the boundaries. And I think they, they've got the spotlight they deserve. And how does that feel for you? Obviously, you've been sort of promoting India as a bar community for a long time. And I guess now you're seeing the fruits of that labor. Is that exciting for you? That's exactly what it is, right? It's fruits of that labor. And I don't think that I've had like the biggest contribution to making this, but it has been some amount of strategic sort of, you know, the way I talk about them, how much I, you know, choose to push the bars and sort of highlight great work. It's great to see that actually come to fruition, not just for India, but also Sri Lanka and Nepal that made their debut this year. Um, It's really nice because each of these bars truly deserve 
being on that list this year. Um, and, you know, it was nice to see all the hard work because COVID did put a bit of a spanner in the works for a lot of these bars who, you know, a lot of these places rely on tourism, like Sri Lanka, for instance. So there's a bit of a struggle there. And after two years of struggling to actually, you know, be a part of something like this was tremendous for everyone. I could feel the, the, the energy, though, you know, the positive energy was palpable when I met everyone in Bangkok. And um, yeah, it's just great to see recognition, not one, not two, but like seven, eight bars from the region on the list was just absolutely incredible. I hope we can keep it up. Good. Well, I hope so too. Well, I mean, um, we've got lots to talk about, I guess. And uh, I mentioned before the show, it depends on which hat you want to wear today, because obviously you're involved in so many things right now. Um, but I think let's start with your origins, because obviously you kind of, um, you're the founder and, and I guess the main person behind the Dram Attic, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of something which is really quite exciting. And, and from there, I guess we can talk about then Hapushya Jin, uh, 50 Best, your role of that. But I'll, I'll sort of sit back for a little bit and let let you tell the audience your sort of story. Oh, it depends how far back you want to go, Chris. I mean, you can start from when I was a, a child. <laughs> no, um, so dramatic kind of just happened. It wasn't something that I was strategically planning from the time I was, you know, in college or anything. So I do have a background in writing and more specifically media writing. And that's what I did in college. But, you know, how often do you, you know, go to college, pick up a course and think you're actually going to use it. Uh, you know, Most of us here literally went through college because we knew we needed a degree, but not necessarily because we were going to use that degree um, to land a job in exactly that industry. So I went into my media and writing uh, course because it's something I enjoyed. I've always enjoyed writing. And um, around the time when I started working, is when I started dabbling a bit in writing about spirits, uh, not for any other reason, but just because I really enjoyed it. And I was trying to document my own journey with spirits and cocktails because for me, it was a slightly new world. And the only way to really capture those uh, memories for me, this was before, we're talking before Instagram, was by journaling them. And I would journal them in what I would then call my blog, (laughs) which then, I mean, it took on a life of its own. I think I started taking the writing a bit seriously, but for myself, but people started picking it up and reading it and slowly brands started paying attention to what I was writing. And then one thing led to another and I started receiving, I don't know, like press releases, invites to events. And the expectation was that I would review events and spirits and all of that. And literally that's how dramatic became dramatic and not just my journal of my drinking experiences (laughs) so um i'd say this happened this started happening about 10 years ago um and i didn't even realize it was a thing until seven years ago when i realized okay i think dramatic is a bit more serious than i thought it was and i started giving it more attention i realized it, it had potential no one in india was at that point doing anything well, I'm sure they were doing something similar, but not exactly the same. I was also traveling a fair bit. So I was able to write about bars and uh, cocktail culture from around the world, which people back home were then very curious to read at that point. You know, India has also, you know, started a lot of, um, how say, the up middle class of India started traveling internationally a lot around that time. So these were all interesting experiences for them to also hear about and then go and seek out themselves when they went to these places. Then I had people writing to me through the website, asking me for recommendations in certain cities, where they should drink, which bars they should go to. So, yeah, it became a bit more of a thing than I imagined it would. Uh, But it's also what's uh, opened up this whole 
world for me. And that's where I'm now. I mean, I can I can take some sort of um, some uh, some similar experience, I guess, with gastronomy lifestyle. That's kind of where I started, really, mm-hmm. pretty much as a blog, just going around and and sharing my insights of eating and drinking, and, and that's sort of grown from there. Sorry about the the plug, but yeah, it's um, yeah. So I, I can understand, and and I think you've you've kind of done it to a point where you've grown. Um, to a standard of authority now where obviously you now represent brands around the world and you're traveling quite often and you know when, when did it become the point where it was like wow okay now i'm i'm representing brands and i'm actually traveling the world and this is sort of my my job now because so you've just come back from greece yeah. how often are you traveling right now firstly so pre-covid with my previous job i used to travel a fair bit but i'd say maybe once every two months and then be gone for about a couple of weeks and cover a couple of countries for work uh, which stopped during covid and then by the second year of covid i started traveling again but again it was like once every two or three months in the last six months it's been a bit more uh, intense six to eight months so now i'm traveling on an average about two weeks uh one and a half to two weeks a month. Well, that's quite a lot then. Okay. Yeah, not to glamorize it. I mean, Instagram isn't reality. It can get quite exhausting. <laughs> true, true. Well, yeah. we've, we've had people on the show before who've kind of uh, expressed uh, the difficulties of being a sort of BA and not saying you're a yeah. BA, but, you know, if oh, you're I can BA imagine. traveling the world constantly, it's, yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, I think a lot of conversations have happened where, you know, those BAs also don't talk about the burnout that they go through, which then becomes a bigger problem. But, you know, I always tell yeah. people when I have a conversation with them and they, they glamorize my lifestyle, which it's great. I mean, I'm getting to travel to places that I've never been to and these are bucket list places and I'm really grateful for it. But I always remind them that there's the, there's the flip side to this kind of travel, right? It is it does cause a bit of burnout and one has to constantly replenish all the energy that one puts into this kind of travel, which I try and do when I'm back home. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's important to address that aspect as well. So where is home for you? Um, I live in Bangalore in India, but I'm originally from the foothills of the Himalayas <laughs> in, in a place called okay, okay. from a place called Shillong, which is very close to a place called Darjeeling, which the whole world knows because of the tea. Um, yeah, so I'm from I'm from there. <laughs> okay, so tell us about that. I mean, how did you end up in Bangalore? And, and tell us about the city, what's going on there right now? I ended up in Bangalore when I was 16. I left home when I was 16 to study. Uh, my parents were of the opinion that all the kids needed to get out of the small town and go live in the big city at the young age of 16 and sort of see what uh, that can do for them. So... Uh, my brothers That's left home. Young, huh? Yeah, my brothers went left home when they were sixteen, and I left home when I was sixteen. I had the choice, uh, a choice between two cities, Delhi or Bangalore, and I chose Bangalore because I just felt like coming from a place like Shillong, which is fairly—it's a hill station. It's a really small, beautiful town with pine forests and waterfalls and little brooks and rivers and all of that. So I didn't really want to jump right into a mad city like Delhi because I'd been there a couple of times. And to be honest, it frightened me as a 16 year old. It frightened me. Um, I just felt like Bangalore was an easier choice for me. And I'm glad I made it because I've been here now. Gosh, if you the sum total of the years I've been here is almost 20 years now. Yeah. yeah, I came here to study and then it just stayed. What's the F&B scene there like? 
So it's interesting. Uh, Bangalore has a great food scene, but you'll get a lot of great local food and a lot of great um, regional cuisines here. So there's a huge, you know, number of options in terms of different types of South Indian food, different types of regional food, Northeastern food, etc. When it comes to fine dining, yes, there are a couple of great options, but we're not at the level of, say, a Delhi or a Bombay yet. So it's a slightly slower city than, than Delhi and Bombay, but it definitely has an equally discerning audience. It's just a far more reserved kind of crowd. Bangalore people like a slow, easy life. They don't like to be too flashy or loud, or you know, they don't like to be constantly seen out and about at places. They're kind of uh, reserved, let's just say. Works well for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's very different to Bangkok. Bangkok, everyone's very flashy and likes to be seen. Yeah, it's very different. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we'll, we'll go into how sort of you got into Hapushi Jin as well, but um, uh, I'd like to sort of talk about actually your home bar. And I recently <laughs> saw this on your Instagram stories and I was like, oh my God. I mean, I think I was just like, that's probably the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Uh, Can you tell us about that? Because yeah. it is beautiful. I mean, how did you come around to creating it did you create I, it I didn't did create it in you? fact this is where I'm going to give a huge shout out to my friend Anirudh at Speedex Bars so Speedex Bars is this company based out of Delhi that does these um, home bar units called the Model X but they also do different types of models for different types of spaces so this is a home bar um, model that they do but as a company Speedex also does the bar fit outs for a lot of India's bars including Sidecar and a bunch of other bars you might have heard of in India they build those bars. Um, so Speedex got into this whole home bar game a couple of years ago, and Anirudh has been very kind to also sort of help me ramp up my home bar game because it's really nice. It comes with this customized drip tray with my name on it, and everybody who comes home is so, so wildly so impressed cool. by that because they think I'm some kind of, you know, <laughs> some kind of celebrity, but little do they know that Anirudh actually <laughs> offers, the, offers this customization to anyone who buys the Model X, which is great. Um, it's a great unit. I think I actually traded it uh, for my previous home bar, which is a big, bulky, wooden home bar, which is beautiful in its own way. And I was very attached to it. Uh, but somehow when I made the switch, I felt like I made the right choice because it's so compact, it's durable. It's got all these little bells and whistles that you need in a home bar setup. It's got the garnish station, it's got a speed rail, it's got a mini fridge built into it it's got like a liquor cabinet with lights yeah it's pretty snazzy i'd say <laughs> snazzy is the right word for it for sure yeah. <laughs> definitely and I, I think for anyone who wants a home bar is thinking about getting a home bar definitely check out Priyanka's because it's it's sort of definitely at the top level of what you need yeah in fact after i posted that so many people started asking me if he ships outside india and he does but the thing is sending one bar to bangkok would not be sustainable so if there was an order from thailand he would obviously then be able to do that and he does that for a couple of markets just not all markets yet but i will let you know <laughs> <laughs> sure so one of the most recent roles you've had is being the global brand strategist for Hapushu Jin. Mm -hmm. And I guess this probably um, touches home a little bit because of the Himalayas, right? So yep. can you tell us about that, that journey to get into that position and, and I guess what the brand means to you? Mm -hmm. um, so prior to joining Hapusha, I used to work for another uh, liquor company based in the UK. So it was a craft liquor company based in the UK. But... Um, 
while I was doing that, I had already heard Abusha is not a very new brand. It's um, it's sorry, it's not a very old brand. It's kind of I think 2017. 2017-18. In 2018 is when I heard about the brand, actually tried it. And ever since I started engaging with them a lot because not to, I'm really not making this up. I seriously liked the story and the liquid. Um, for me, it's important that the gin I'm drinking is sippable on its own. And I find very few gins were able to sort of tick that box for me. Um, Hapusha lived up to every claim that it made so i grabbed a bottle i put it in the freezer i took it out i had a sip and i was like so these guys weren't just making that out you know it tastes absolutely divine straight out of the freezer because i always like to test the claims of a brand and i found that every claim they made was actually true um i was actually loyal to the brand before i actually met the owners and then somewhere maybe a year down the line i met the distiller owner chatted with him, uh, went for one of their tasting events, et cetera, et cetera. And we kind of became friends. And uh, yeah, and then one fine day they were like, well, since you like our brand and since we like you, would you like to join us? And I said, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I think for me, the most important part of this journey has been believing in the product and also whether or not they can um, substantiate their story. Right. And that's been okay. important. And the fact that they also had someone like Yang Doblama already on board, that itself for me was also a huge um, plus because I have so much respect for him and he, I know he would never put his name behind something he didn't believe in himself. And so, yeah, it made my decision extremely easy. <laughs> so, I mean, um, you know, the podcast we're, I told you before, we listen to around the world now and I think we're very fortunate to have such a diverse audience, many who are in positions like you are. Mm-hmm. or brand owners, but also many who are just starting out in the industry. And one of the things I've loved about the show and what we do is we sort of, we have guests on who are in positions that a new bartender might not even know that was possible to get to. So uh, what I'd like to ask is, for the purpose of the audience really, is like, what does a global brand strategist do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what's the, you know, on a daily basis, like really, because for a lot of people that are sort of just starting out in a bartending, you know, mm-hmm. before if you think sort of 10 years ago, there was sort of start of a bartender, then you're BA, then you're a bar owner. And that was it. But now as brands have evolved and they've sort of tapped into markets and consumer behavior and, you know, there, there are so many roles available and I, I really love to share this sort of this area here. For me or for us, it's more, it's more of a hybrid role and it's also kind of developing as we go along. Um, we're sort of defining it every day. I've been in the role about seven, six, seven months now. But to put it quite simply, I'd say the idea of strategy, right? I mean, you have a product and you know that eventually you want to see the product at these places. And this is where how you want people to see it. So the journey in between is where I fit in, sort of strategizing where and how what moves to make on the chessboard so that we can get there. And it sounds a lot cooler. It sounds like I'm part of some major operation here. But, <laughs> but it's basically that, right? I mean, you have a product and you have a goal and everything in between is about moving those chess pieces around and figuring out how do we get there. For me, yeah. my vision for the brand is to see it at all the right places in the hands of all the right people and have the right people talk about it. The idea is not to flood anyone or any particular market and just be everywhere all the time. I do believe that there's a beauty in, you know, being a bit rare as well. Um, So the idea is never to 
just go out there and be everywhere. So the strategy is also to be a bit restrained and controlled and to see how we can get to our goal by, you know, living up to all these bold, you know, and these claims that we make and these stories that we tell and how that will help us on this journey to get to where we want. So my role is to be able to figure out how to do that. Well, I like your analogy of chess pieces because it definitely is a a strategy game. And and you're right, that's what strategy is really. So um, yeah, completely understand that. So, I mean, and talking about the brand, like sort of what are the main uh, strategic pillars, I would say, that you sort of use when entering a new market or potentially when... Chris, well, is trying just... to, Chris is trying to get me to give away my strategies. <laughs> what? No, not at all. I mean, <laughs> just, it, just to clarify, I don't represent any bars or who, any brands who, who, who at all. But... see us and, and only listening to us, I was wagging my finger at him earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh God, I'm so like wrong. <laughs> No, but I mean, it's very interesting. I think it's it's a great role. And, um, you know, for me, it's a very exciting role. It's something I would love to do at one point. No, but um, finish your question. I, 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 was, I was only joking. Yeah, I know. I was like, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, without giving too much away, um, what are what are some of the things you work on? Like when you think about strategy, it's like, okay, we've got a new market. I mean, so for instance, for me, just off the top of my head, new market, first thing I would do is target the bars, target the bartenders. It's like about education, educating the bartenders or not just educating, but uh, making them adopt the brand, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the, the main focus I would think. But I guess Yeah, maybe... because they would be your final spokesperson in the market in your absence. But there's also the element of, you know, not, it's important not to ignore the end consumer. It's also that person who sees your bottle in the supermarket hasn't heard about it from a bartender, what will convince this person to pick up your, your bottle? And how do they find out more about it, you know, to create that interest? But I think the strategy would always be to see in that market what works best or what are people in that market after? Is it a market that's already saturated? Is it a market where there's actually potential? Identify what, what the gaps are and then go after those. But um, there was another thing I was going to say, which I've forgotten because you distracted me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look, a lot of opportunities come our way as a brand, right? Any brand, especially in in a place like India, there's a hundred things going on every day. A lot of opportunities come our way. So part of the strategy is also figuring out how many of those things do you say yes to? How many of those things do you think you should be seen at, could be seen at, want to be seen at, and don't want to be seen at? So that is my... I'm very clear when I think about visibility and events, I'll just give one thing away. I'm not going to say any more after this. <laughs> when I think about <laughs> events, I only think about it in terms of these four things. Should we be seen at? Do we want to be seen at it? Uh, do we not want to be seen at it? And things like that. So that, that'll help you sort of narrow it down because otherwise you could be doing, you could be seen at like a hundred events every day. But as a strategy yeah. for us, I don't think that's something that we are really into. To, to lean in more of the the idea of people wanting to get into this position, mm-hmm. um, like what would you say are the key qualities they should aim to get, or potentially the sort of key um, education or understandings to be able to get into a role like this? So I'll just sort of rephrase your question with my answer a little bit. I've had this conversation with a couple of people before about how the role of a BA itself, the traditional role of a BA itself has to 
change, I feel, to develop, to sort of evolve with where we are now, what brands expect, what consumers expect from brands as well. I think the BA role has been so like defined by the you know big brands of the world to mean just someone who gets behind the bar, comes up with drinks and you know chats with people and this and is this guy or girl that everybody knows and is friends with. But I think that's because those are the KPIs that they've been given over the years. But if you allow them to explore a bit more what their talents are, I think a lot of these people also have a knack for planning. They have a knack for understanding, okay, so this bar is great and I'm gonna go make drinks at this bar, but you know what? This bartender seems like this kind of guy. And I think if we wanna get into this menu, this is what we need to do. So I think a brand ambassador's role needs to evolve more into like a cross-functional role between sales and marketing and brand ambassadorship. Like, I, I don't see them as mutually exclusive anymore. You know, like I, I don't see how you could be productive in that role without having a sense of all these other elements or all these other functions, sales and marketing. So I, I do think that that whole brand ambassador thing needs to be redefined a little bit by brands. What I do, um, yes, I'm not a brand ambassador, but it's easy for people to confuse me uh, to be a brand ambassador because I also get behind the bar once in a while. And I think to land a role like this, you might you might want to be able to prove that you have strategic strengths, right? To be able to plan, to be able to position not just your brand, but yourself. How do you position yourself? Like, what do you want to be seen as, recognized as? And that itself is strategy at work, right? Um, whether you're diligent, whether you can multitask, for me, these are all strengths that I think have helped me land this role. I multitask, I'm extremely diligent. I can work in a team. I can also work, I work really well alone. Actually, I work best alone, but you know, <laughs> it's not always an option. <laughs> um, and yeah, just be able to think, think through an idea from start to finish and lay out the process. For me, process is extremely important, not paperwork, but just in terms of clarity of idea. Um, yeah just method, there has to be a method to even the madness. And I think if you're able to prove that over time through your work and how you deliver, um, a role like this should be, yeah, should come your way. Again, let me remind you that this role didn't exist, right? It wasn't a position that was filled. Uh, it's a hybrid role, like I said, it's a, it's a coming together of a bunch of different skill sets that I might have uh, had in my previous roles, in my previous experience, which has culminated in this role. And I think that will continue to happen as, you know, we move away from traditional setups and traditional roles and, you know, brick and mortar setups where people are going to offices and suits from nine to five. As we move away from those, even the kind of roles that are created for people within companies will evolve, right? So like the brand ambassador may tomorrow be called a global brand strategist. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's good to see that the beverage world has sort of evolved quite far as well. I, I mean, just actually, no, I find it very, very interesting. But um, maybe we'll go more into the brand itself, um, being from the Himalayas. Can we talk about, you know, I think the quote is, there's a mountain in this bottle. Is that right? Ooh, it's a beautiful tagline, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Hapusha means, or I'll get into the word first. The word Hapusha means juniper in Sanskrit. And the Himalayan story comes from the fact that the juniper that we use in Hapusha is foraged Himalayan juniper. So it could be foraged from anywhere along the Himalayan belt. 
no one place in particular, but it's extremely wild forage juniper. And I think we were one of the first uh, gins to use Himalayan juniper in our gin. So that covers the whole, whole Himalayan story. Um, but we try and extend that in whatever we do in terms of you know, something as simple as having Yang Duplama as our you know, chief brand mentor. He's from the, from the Himalayas. He speaks the language. He gets it. Our signatures are created by him and they're all Himalayan cocktails, like Himalayan signatures using ingredients from Himalayas, whether that's rhododendron or the Sichuan pepper or tea. They're all very sort of native Himalayan um, ingredients that go into our signatures. So in terms of a brand story, we try and keep that very watertight, um, but it all stems from the juniper. Did you know that Hapusha used Himalayan juniper or were you always curious about why it was called Himalayan dry gin? No, I, I think I knew it was juniper. I didn't right. know that Hapusha was yeah. the word behind that, actually. So yeah. no, it's quite interesting. And I tried some of the cocktails as well. I think actually the first night on Monday, we had that guest shift, that independence um, what was the bar that came? Ah, the home from uh, Delhi. Those weren't our signatures, yeah. but but uh, but Shantanu makes some great drinks with Hapusha. He did some fabulous stuff. Yeah. Oh, they were great. I mean, to be honest, uh, so looking back at that week, we had what fifty-five guest shifts, which was oh just insane. God. And but, I'm uh, sure you went to all fair. of them. <laughs> I tried. I honestly, I mean, my liver can't handle it anymore. Actually, I'm <laughs> really can't do much. But um, actually, that that night was probably one of the best night cocktails I had. Honestly, oh, he did so well. Shantanu, if you're listening. I hope he is. Yeah, honestly, dude, your cocktails are great. Um, I've, he also gave me a menu as well, which is really sweet. So menu. Um, He's done this really so nice yeah. menu for his bar um, home yeah, it's in, great. in New Delhi. It's a beautiful menu. Yeah. It's very beautifully designed. It's simple and yet technical and complex at the same time. Very nicely done. So, I mean, let's go into that then about India and about the bar community. And I'm, I'm sure you are probably one of the best people to ask. But for people that are going Depends. into India... <laughs> <laughs> depends on which city right but, depends uh, who we're I'm asking sure. right <laughs> but uh, I mean it'd be great to learn now that India has got such recognition over the sort of awards and, and it really is like just it's going above and beyond um, for people who are going to be visiting what are the key places they should go where are the key bars you know what are the hot spots I think the hot spots are 100% uh, Goa and Delhi right now um, there's also a couple in Bombay and Bangalore, but I think if you had to pick two cities, you would pick Delhi and Goa. Uh, just the largest concentration of like great F&B in these cities right now, you know, it's just, um, I think it's, one is a function of, you know, them being located in those cities, which is a bit easier than functioning in a city like Bangalore, for instance, F&B is a bit challenging here, um, license operation wise, but Delhi and Goa have a great concentration of like, you'll have, you'll have, you can choose from like, depending on your mood, what you're feeling like, whether you want a quiet place, whether you want a, a loud, big bar, or whether you want, like, just a quiet dinner, or you want, you can have any experience you want, pretty much. So I would definitely recommend starting up in the north in Delhi and then making your way down south to Goa. Okay, okay. Can you name some bars, your maybe top five or top three or something? I wouldn't name my top five or top three. <laughs> That's like asking for trouble. I will definitely ask you to refer to the 50 best list and go from there. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's probably a better way to do it. My favorite bar, though, is um, my favorite bar in the country, though, is my home bar. Ah, okay. Shout out to them. Okay. They're getting a lot of recognition Thank you, this <laughs> So actually, let's talk about 50 Best then, because I know you obviously, um, you know, this is something that you've been involved with pre-COVID. I mean, 
obviously, I, I think had it not been for COVID, that would have evolved a lot further. But but you're an academy chair, right? So that that's quite an exciting role. I mean, um, how has that been for you, being part of Dan and being able to to go around the world and be able to spread the knowledge of bar communities and, and India as a whole? So a lot of the travel that I do is on the basis of um, as dramatic, not as the academy chair. Uh, but I do travel to the awards as a, in the capacity of academy chair. Um, but what's been great about this is that I think, of course, 50 Best has existed as a list for a couple of years now, Asia's 50 Best and World's 50 Best. But we didn't have any bars from India on the list for the longest time. And then, you know, one year we had one, and then for the next three years, we didn't have any. And then again, we had one more, we had sidecars. So it's been kind of sporadic. And in some ways for me, watching from the sidelines, it was a bit surprising because I knew we had great bars and some of, you know, the finest bartenders in this country doing a great job and creating these great bars that people loved going to. So I've always wondered why we didn't feature on these lists more. Um, right. So landing this role at 50 Best was actually, for me, I saw it as a huge opportunity to, in my own way, try and change that. The same things that I identified as issues, maybe I could, you know, do something about it. And yes, year one was slow. We still had just one bar on the list, et cetera, et cetera. But then now, I mean, where we are with four or five bars on the list and then two more on the extended list, it's just... It's very gratifying to see because I do think that it makes a difference having someone sit within the region and help make this happen. Um, not to take credit because obviously the academy chairs are only a you know a tool or a, you know to enable bars to sort of get on the list, but we can't control anything outside of that, right? I mean, eventually it, it is the voters and who they vote for. So really, I mean, there's nothing much we can do beyond that. But that first step itself is something that I'm happy to be a part of because at least it's a step in the right direction. And, you know, I'm beginning to see results. So I'm guessing something's working. And I hope the bars in India do so. that way too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they are. I mean, um, yeah, I met with loads of you guys when you're here. Bajrasura has done amazing mm -hmm. well being the best bar in India and... And number four on the list so congrats yeah. to those guys yeah. um, but no I, mean, I think it's great to see and I think um, we're seeing more of the sort of continent being exposed yeah. um, like you said about Nepal as well uh, those guys I met those guys they were amazing so <laughs> friendly super friendly <laughs> so uh, which bar is it I'm trying to think of it's Black, Blackbird in Kathmandu and then there's uh, okay. Smoke and Bitters in Sri Lanka Smoke um, and Bitters yeah honestly yeah. those guys were so friendly to me, yeah. the whole uh, show, every time I saw them. Just the warmest people ever. Totally, so yeah. Warm. I mean, it makes me want to go travel the country just for that bar. So, yeah, um, yeah good for them. You know, we've got a little bit of time left, but um, let's talk about more of the dramatic. And, you know, what are your plans for the dramatic? What are you doing now? What's the, what's the big focus? So, uh, I feel like I have to disclose a lot of things that I didn't want to disclose. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, so I think I definitely need to ramp up. Uh, I want to ramp up and get a few writers on board, to be honest, because I realized that I can't do all of the writing myself anymore. Oh, I'm in uh, the same boat, yeah. And I also can't be such a control freak, which I am. <laughs> I don't know, once I done a certain way, I have to do it myself. <laughs> I sympathize so much. I'm exactly the same with my brand, honestly. But I'm beginning to understand that that is 
not constructive. It's it's hurting me and it's hurting the brand, right? If I'm not going to be able to relinquish control, if I'm not going to be trust, be able to trust people to do a decent job, and I don't have the time to do it myself, then there's only one person getting hurt. It's me, right? So I am now seriously thinking about getting some guest writers or full-time writers on board and just sort of ramp up the frequency of the articles because it's getting harder to manage by myself. Uh, apart from that, I also want to shift the focus a little bit towards like, I think I want to go a bit thematic every year. So I do want to pick a theme every year and sort of focus on bars that allow me to focus on the theme. So sustainability is one of those things. So starting this July, I think I'm going to be focusing more on bars that have a conscious, sustainable angle to them and just make that the story for the next one year and then go from there. But yeah, I just want to bring more focus and more um, content to the platform and not get pressured into okay. writing things that I don't want to write about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tends to happen I, a lot. I know. <laughs> I know that feeling. I mean, so I, I'm obviously in a very similar position, I guess, but I do a lot mm. of writing about food and drink. And yeah. um, I often get invited to places mm-hmm. to try the food and drink to do a review. And mm-hmm. sometimes I just, I, I can't write about it if it's if it's in a bad experience. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm in a position where I won't write bad reviews. I just... Exactly. She said. Right? I'll send a polite email to say why I didn't have a good experience. A constructive email because I think it's better to do rather than write any uh, a review that's not yeah. seen in a good light. Some people act on it, some people take it badly, but you know, nine times out of ten, it, it seems a good way. But also, but, um, I mean, I I also have this thing where not everything is going to become a story. Something could just become a post because if I go to an event, I don't think that is worth one thousand five hundred words. <laughs> so I'm not going to do a story, um, which. Which is a lot of words. Right? Yeah. As as writers, you know that's, that's a lot of words. words to write. At one point, you're like, "Oh God, it hurts me." <laughs> yes, it does. But I hate it as well. It, it just drives me mad to actually go in and write something. So I'm good at it. I just don't like doing it. Okay, I like. I love doing it, but not if somebody pressures me into doing it. I don't like writing right. under pressure. I will write when I want to write, if I feel like writing, or if there's, you know, that's what I'm being paid for. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not going to do it. Um, but the other thing that I, I really want to start working on, and you know, just uh, it's just setting those expectations. Like, just because I attend an event does not mean I'm going to write about it. You know, I mean that expectation has to be. And I think this is how media works, and this is how people un- don't understand media works. I think that's also the problem. Like explaining to them that an article does not just happen because someone walks in through the door and you know eats a meal. Um, so I need to work on those guidelines as well because it's getting harder now. The expectations are just sort of mounting up, and you're just like, no, I I can't do it. <laughs> you know? This is going to be a post. <laughs> I mean, I love this. I feel like I'm getting. I feel like we're both airing a lot of our chest, but but you're right. Like when it comes to this sort of media uh, level, it's not a case of just turning up and going, oh, "Okay, great, I'm going to write." A- yeah, and you've you've seen my website, right? Mine is not a news yeah. sort of website. It's not about covering events or you know things like that. It's a lot more storytelling. There's a lot more narrative angle to it. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So and mine is a time, lot more. Right? Yeah, it's a lot more. How do you say like? Yeah, it's it's a story. It's not it's not an article about an event. So for me to have to put in my time and put in one thousand five hundred words, there has to be a story. There has to be an actual 
you know, thing. So yeah, I mean, when you ask about dramatic, this is one of the few things that I have a few things on my list that I need to go through. One is to get more writers on board, start being less of a control freak, um, pick a theme, <laughs> pick a theme and run with it and learn to say no. Couple of things there. Firstly, don't stop being a control freak. I think that's <laughs> that's the one thing you have. Keep that as much as you can that's because true. you yeah. are your brand, right? So you know how it should be. But secondly, just to mention to people listening, um, in the show notes, if you look down, there will be links to the dramatic, also to the dramatics articles, and you had a podcast at one point as well. Which I'm I so did. Sad that you never, Can I tell you what happened with on. that? But, because I know it's a question. Sure, sure. Um, a lot of people because you had some great guests. Yeah, and I know I, I can still kickstart that, but my issue is that at that point when I was doing season one of the podcast, everything was about COVID and it was fine for 12 episodes. But by the by the end oh, of season mean, one, yeah. I was like, I don't want to talk about COVID anymore or how you you know pivoted or how you recovered from COVID. So I'll just wait for that to stop being the topic of conversation. And then once I start um, building the theme for Dramatic for the next one year, the podcast will also sort of reflect the theme. So I'm just giving it some time. It's going to come back, but it's just not going to come back in the same avatar. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It just needs some time. <laughs> I'm such a supporter of podcasters, like, um, you know, being in, I, I mean, I started just before COVID, I guess, but uh, well, we're up to, you're, I think this is episode 65, actually, but. Um, That's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not bad, right? But um, I'm so supportive of everyone in the industry who are doing podcasts like this because I've been on other people's podcasts who are in the beverage trade, like uh, Shonsu Hospitality, Hanley yeah. as well. And it's all about like just helping each other grow. But I think it's such a good medium to share knowledge and, and engage with people and just understand. Um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes so you can listen and, and hopefully it'll come back soon. Um, but just to wrap up, I mean, it's been lovely to have you on, really. I've been so happy to have you join um maybe we could just talk quickly about um your drinking habits yeah no i'd love to ask about like your favorite drink and i know obviously it's got to be habushi but you're you are a martini girl right yes I'm looking at your instagram girl. yes if it's a if it's going to be a cocktail it, it should be a martini for me um, and if it's going to be spirits then it's either going to be habusha or whiskey Oh, mezcal. I have three favorite spirits. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we're, we're both drinking right now. We're, we're on video and, and chatting to each other. And uh, I've just enjoyed a lovely rum and coke. Uh, now I'm on a gin and tonic from Songhai, which is a Vietnamese gin. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're drinking whiskey. Can you tell us which whiskey it is? It's an Ardbeg. Smoky. Ooh, lovely. I peaty. love Ardbeg. Yeah, I love anything that's that peaty. It's just like smoke on my nose. <laughs> oh, totally, yeah. yeah. Is it a 10-year or...? Is a tenure, yeah. Yeah, I love that. One of the best. Normally, I mean, I'm also drinking whiskey because the weather is so rainy and gloomy, and I just needed something warm. But otherwise, I'd mm. be drinking a hapusha martini if it was warmer. Sounds good. Yeah. So, <laughs> Where's your drink? You've been Bianca. saying you have this drink, and I haven't seen you take a single sip of it. <laughs> what? Are you yeah, I've been. I've, this is my third drink oh, during so this podcast. True. I You've did just not listened. No, that's true. <laughs> I was. I was even like. Taking the bottle oh, off the bottle, the cork of the bottle, like pour it. Completely my bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm free in. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the show, guys. Uh, we are available on Spotify, iTunes, and all other major podcast providers. 
Your support helps my show grow and I love you for listening. So thank you so much. If you want to be a part of it even more, please look at the show notes. You can find links to our Facebook group, The Beverage Network. You can also find links to my Patreon page where you can help the show grow even further with small donations. And you can also find my email where you can reach me anytime with any questions. You guys are amazing. I love this industry. Let's keep it growing. Thank you for listening to On The Bad Bar.